So I'm going to be reading about a banquet. I just need to say, I had some sheet cake earlier and it had black frosting. My tongue gives it away. So if you're wondering what happened to Amy, I was invited to the banquet in High Partick. <laughs> so our scripture reading today is from Luke 14, verses 12 through 24. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amy, for reading that passage for us, that parable. This this parable has some teeth. Uh, on its surface, it may not seem like it does, but as we've been taking time to not only talk about the parables, but to talk about the context in which the parable is delivered, uh, this one gets complicated in a way that is, I think, very challenging. Um, even at, <clears throat> during the 830 service as we were talking about it, there's some gravity to this one. And so, and so I want to invite you to, um, to ask the Lord to, to help you see your own heart uh, in this. So as a preacher, I have a uh, kind of a, a continually developing and yet limited supply of anecdotes. <laughs> I have a couple that, uh, that I've been sitting on and have not used yet in a sermon because the time just hasn't been right. They're, they're good. And, uh, and I'm not gonna use any of them today. <laughs> Instead, I'm gonna use one that if you've been here for any amount of time, you'll be like, you, you say this all the time. But if this is your first time with us, you, lucky you. Um, it's this, it's that I had a seminary professor who said to us when we were students, he said, if you are in a restaurant and you hear the, a drum 
and, and, and you can tell like the wait staff and the restaurant staff are making their way to sing happy birthday to somebody in the restaurant, that you are, you are duty bound as a Christian to sing along. <laughs> and I do, to this day, like I, I at least clap and acknowledge what's happening until it's done. But his reason for this was, it's not that you're just being polite, it's that something is happening in that moment that's kind of profound, and you as a Christian of all people should understand the significance of this most sacred exchange that is happening, because what is happening is you have found yourself in a place where the existence of an image bearer of God is being publicly celebrated by other image bearers of God. And if you won't join into that celebration, what are, what are we even doing here, right? Like he's, so now that has followed me around since seminary and now it gets to follow you. And so when you hear the drum or somebody puts the sombrero on the head of the person who's embarrassed, you have to sing. You have to sing because the life of an image bearer of God is being celebrated. I tell you that, again, uh, as a way of saying that what my professor was teaching us was he's saying there's a certain way that as a Christian you should think about parties. There's a way you should think about celebration. Uh, and, and, and not just as something kind of fun to do, but as something that is, that is kind of of a holy importance. Um, I would say at Cool Springs, one of our values here uh, is fun. We have a lot of fun. We laugh almost every Sunday at some point during the service. We're not jokey, but we, we laugh and we have fun and we have celebrations and we have parties. And one of the reasons we do that is not just to kick back, but is because there's so much to rejoice in in this life. The Lord has filled this life with, with abundant blessing and, and joy and reason to kind of think back on his faithfulness over time. And so we are to be people who think of ourselves as those who celebrate. And chief among the reasons why we should be people who celebrate and think of ourselves that way is because our future, uh, our destiny as followers of Jesus Christ is that we will actually be at a glorious celebration, a, a, a wedding feast, the wedding banquet of the Lamb, and, and we as the church, the, the bride of Christ, we're the bride in that celebration. Like, that's coming for us. And so we, we, we do well to think about what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ who celebrates? And that's what this parable is about. It's also what's happening in the story that sets up the parable as well, that there's a party happening. Whenever there's a party that's happening, we should be asking the question, why? Why is this party happening? Why is this gala being thrown? And why am I here? Why am I a part of it? In today's text, God has planned a banquet. And he has extended an invitation. He's extended many invitations. Some of those invitations are ancient. Some of them are recent. Some of them are still forthcoming. But... The thing we need to know about the banquet is that when it happens, every last seat will be filled. So, one of the most 
profound theological questions that a person can ask is this question. Who has a seat at God's banquet table and on what basis? Who has a seat at God's banquet table and on what basis? I guess that's two questions, but they're joined to each other. Who has a seat at God's banquet table and on what basis? Why are they there? And so let's look at this parable and the context in which it happens. Luke chapter 14 focuses on a meal that happens in a Pharisee's home. So some Pharisees, scribes, religious leaders are hosting a meal. Jesus and his disciples are the guests at this meal, and so they're there and they're talking. This would have been understood to be a time where they would debate, discuss, they would talk shop, but kind of in this sort of relaxed, we're just people around a table having a conversation here, but we're also religious leaders, and so we're going to talk about the thing it is that we, that we do. And so during this meal, Jesus looks at the host and he says something to the host that just imagine you're the host and your guest of honor says this to you, okay? Jesus looks at the host and he says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, which they were in the process of having, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't, don't invite your friends <clears throat> and your relatives your rich neighbors. Because if you do, then they're just going to invite you to a banquet at their place and repay you. Instead, what you should do, Jesus says to his host, when you give a feast, invite the poor and the lame and the blind, and then you'll be blessed. And the reason you'll be blessed <clears throat> is because they can't repay you but you will be repaid. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. How would that sit with you if you were the host? Don't throw this kind of party next time. Throw another kind. What is Jesus doing? Is he's talking to these religious leaders about the difference between self-emptying love and transactional relationships. Very relevant topic for the town where we, where we are because we live in a town that is built on the back of transactional relationships. This is a town, this is a collaborative town. Not all <coughs> transactional relationships are bad as long as we understand that that's what they are and preferably as long as that's not all that they are. But we have transactional relationships. This is a city full of them. And that means these are relationships where we say, I connect to you because there's something that you have that I, that I want, that you can give me, and that I can get by having a relationship with you, maybe some kind of connection to, to other people or some kind of enhanced credibility because when people think of me, they think of me as somebody who's associated with you. Or maybe I get some resource from you or some skill that I get from you. And if we're not careful, we can easily make every relationship we have a transactional one. <clears throat> Even turning existing relationships into transactional relationships. We can do it with our children, right? We can say of our children, I need my kids to perform 
academically, athletically. I need my kids to perform in a way that will reflect well on me when I go into their school or when I go into the social circles that all our kids are a part of. I need my kids to frame who I am in the eyes of my kids, friends, parents. Or, we can do this with our friends, what I need from my friends is I need my friends to have my back and to cheer for me publicly. And I need to box them out of the places where I fail so that they won't know that part of me. And so Jesus says, actually, when you have a banquet, here's what you should do. You should invite people who can't pay you back. And it would have made everybody uncomfortable because self-emptying love was not how those who were gathered in this place lived. And they didn't really have any aspiration to change. The whole system was built on them being respected because of who they were as the upper echelon of the the religious leadership there, that they would be seen as the smart ones and as the righteous ones and as the ones who were close to God. And then they got to benefit from that. But what's happening in our passage is Jesus says this, and then he, he, he ends this by saying, when you give this feast, invite the poor, lame, blind, and then you'll be blessed you'll be blessed because they can't repay you and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The tension in the room is so palpable that one of the people in the room speaks up, breaks the silence, tries to ease the tension. What does he say? He says, well, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? What is he doing? He's taking the focus off of the specific things Jesus is talking about, giving the poor a seat at your table, and he's expanding the idea to the general truth that anybody with a seat at God's table is blessed. Can you think of an example of this happening perhaps in the last four years where somebody says something specific that has teeth, makes you think, makes you wrestle, about a specific group of people. And somebody says, well, actually, actually, everybody should be included in that. Because I can think of one. Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about an organization. I'm talking about the sentiment that Black Lives Matter. That there was a period of time when that statement was being brought up. Why? because there were lots of things happening that were indicating that in many parts of, of our system, they didn't matter, or at least they were more vulnerable than other people who weren't black. And so people would say black lives matter as a plea. And many chose to respond to that by saying all lives matter, which is not false, but is also not the point, right? The point is, because all lives matter, in this moment it seems important to emphasize because all lives matter, black lives matter. And so I think about that because I think it's similar to what's happening here at this banquet where Jesus is saying, bring in the weak, the wounded, the sick, and the sore. Let them have a seat at your banquet table and you'll be blessed for doing that. 
And somebody says, well, anybody will be blessed who's seated at the right hand of God. What he's conveniently doing, that religious leader, is he's seating himself at the banquet table of God. He's, he's putting himself into that. We would use the language today, he's centering himself in Jesus' parable here, right? What he's trying to do is he's, he's expanding this general truth that anyone with a seat at God's table is blessed to take the tension out of the moment of Jesus saying, yes, but the marginalized should have a seat at your banquet table. Who's going to argue with the idea that anybody who has a seat at the table of God is blessed? He's trying to tamp Jesus down. Jesus is issuing a rebuke to the religious leaders here, but somebody there who is anxious and in the mood to save the room makes this benign blessing. You can almost see him raising his cup to all of us then, right? Why do we do this? Why do we feel like we have to take the searching focus statements that make us uncomfortable and cut the tension and turn them into empty ones that everybody can drink to? Why is it? Jesus had just said, invite the weak, the wounded, the sick, and the sore to your tables. Bless them. And somebody says, you know, everyone invited to God's table is blessed. When this happens, that's the occasion for Jesus to tell this parable. It's in response to this comment. It's in response to this comment of everybody at God's table is blessed. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Why is he telling this parable? Because Jesus is by no means ready to have his searching statement dismissed by somebody else's empty one. And so he uses this opportunity to tell a parable. He tells a story. A story is a Trojan horse for truth, right? You can slip so much past the gates of people's defenses by telling them a story because people lean in and they want to hear a story. So rather than, let me tell you three ways you need to improve, you can say there was a man who had two sons. And people lean in, tell me about these two sons. I want to learn about them, right? Jesus does this. This is the primary way that he teaches. He did it all the time. He didn't primarily teach in sermons. He primarily taught in story. And he tells this parable to press the point. He's being dismissed by the statement, everybody at God's table is blessed. And he's saying, well, then, you know what we should do? We should talk about that table. Let's have a conversation about that table. I'm going to give you a parable about the table itself. What will it be like? Will it be as you presume? Will you be at it? Who ends up coming to that banquet? Will there be some surprises? The spoiler alert is there will be some surprises, right? For these religious leaders who think they already see, they know what there is to know. Every person in the room would have followed Jesus' analogy here in this parable. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't draping this parable in really hard to decipher uh, symbolism. He wasn't cryptic. Everybody would have understood the man with the great banquet is God. The many who were invited to this was Israel that he extends this invitation a long time ago. That's the covenant, right? And this feast is coming. Everybody knows that this is coming. Whether it's the Messiah's coming or the kingdom of God on earth or whatever, they know that this day is coming. One of the best parts of being invited to a celebration is the anticipation, is of looking forward to that thing coming. 
It's good for us to review our calendars and see what dinners we have coming up and what celebrations we have coming up, what birthdays, so that we can remember their significance. We, remember, we can remember why we said yes when they said, will you attend this? I said, oh, I'm really looking forward to that. And then the story takes a turn. The time of the banquet has come, Jesus says, and so the servant goes out and he tells the invitees, the banquet's ready. It's time, come on. And then what happens? They don't want to go. Why don't they want to go? Life is crowded in. They've gotten busy. They've gotten distracted. They're focused on other things. And one by one, they begin to decline the invitation. This invitation that they had not only previously accepted, but they had made their way through life telling other people, I'm going to the banquet. And they give these reasons, and I love the reasons Jesus gives he puts in the, the reasons he puts on their lips because they're legitimate sounding. I just, I just bought this field and I have to go take care of it. I just got married. I've got to take care of that, right? He, he gives these reasons that are legitimate, but what he's saying is at the heart of this, what each person is saying to the servant who is inviting them to the banquet, he's saying, they're saying, what I'm doing takes precedent over what you're doing. So I understand that it's time for the banquet. I happen to be busy right now. And so to those who are so sure that they're insiders to God's favor, Jesus is asking the question, are you? Are you sure? Will you accept the invitation to the banquet when it comes? Or will you decline the feast of the Lord because you have other things? Will you favor your own life over the Lord's call to celebrate with him. What makes you so sure? Hearing the refusals, the master becomes angry and he tells the servant, all right, go invite the city's weak, wounded, sick, and sore. Then go outside of the city and invite foreigners, anybody you come upon, invite them. This refers to the inclusion of Gentiles in the body of Christ. And that would have been a scandalous thought to the religious leaders who were gathered there, this idea that those outside of the kingdom of Israel would have a seat at the banquet table of the Lord because they saw themselves as preferred. But this is the truth of the gospel, is that Christ calls all nations to himself and his banquet table will be full, every seat. It will be. Not only will it be full, every seat, every seat will be filled by somebody with gratitude in their hearts for being there. How we respond to God's invitation is really an overflow from the true nature of whatever our existing relationship with him really is. If we have a transactional relationship with God, in other words, I identify as a Christian, because of what it gives me in my context. If that is the relationship that we have with God, we won't be bothered to do the things that he calls us to do unless they make sense for us to do in step with the other things we're trying to do. How we respond to his invitation reveals what we believe. It shows us what's really, really in our hearts. If we can't be troubled to respond to God's invitation to celebrate what he has done, 
it reveals that what he has done doesn't really mean that much to us, ultimately. It reveals that we feel entitled to his blessing, but we're not responsible to engage with him unless we want to. That should sound familiar. That should sound like the last two weeks in the parable of the prodigal son. Both of these sons believed that they were entitled to the father's blessing, but not responsible to engage with him unless they wanted to and unless they got something from him for engaging with him. When we don't respond to the Lord's invitation to his banquet, it reveals that our relationship with him is transactional, that we embrace spirituality for what it benefits us. And what that may be is we say, well, what I really mean when I say I'm a spiritual person is first, it sounds good. It sounds good for people to hear that I'm a spiritual person. They would look at me and say, you must be a person of substance and depth. You're a spiritual person. Oh, you're a spiritual person. And what we're after is, well, what I really want is peace of mind. I want this aura of having some substance and depth as a person in the eyes of other people. I want this credibility that comes with it that I'm basically decent. But we're not really in it for him, which is evident then in the lack of passion that we have for him. It's just not there. So is your faith that? Is your faith mostly a transactional affair? Indifference to God's invitation shows that we have chosen a different path than the one that he walks. And we're committed to the path we're walking for what it gives us, and God is there to help provide for that. It's heavy. It's searching. I'm not comfortable (laughs) right now even talking about it because I am convicted here. So let's land by asking the good news question of this passage. What is the party all about? Why is the banquet even happening? Because that's where it gets really, really good. Jesus makes a strong statement here at the end of our passage. He says this, I tell you none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. That's a strong statement. Jesus makes a strong statement about judgment here. Jesus talked about judgment a lot. If your impression of Jesus is that Jesus was a guy who was just kind of cool with a lot of things, he was inspiring, uh, he, he understood that, you know, it's complicated to follow him and, and, uh, and, and that's okay, it's okay, you do your thing. That's, that may be a Jesus you know about, but it's not the Jesus of the New Testament. The Jesus of the New Testament talked about judgment a lot. He, he regularly confronts people with his authority. When he overturns the money changer's table in the temple, he's not just making a statement about how the table and the money changing upsets him. He's making a statement about how that temple is his. He's declaring ownership over it. Jesus regularly confronts with his authority. Jesus demands allegiance. He's not 
a all roads lead to heaven kind of guy. He is an I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. He's that kind of Lord. And that was not a paraphrase. He said that. And he says, pretenders will be judged as such. You will stand before your judge and you will say, Lord, Lord, did I not perform miracles in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the Jesus that we have in the New Testament. Okay, is that helping us? That should be heavy. But the good news is he has to be that kind of Jesus in order for this to be a good story. He has to be that kind of a judge. He has to be one who insists on allegiance in order for us to understand what this party is even about in the first place. Because it's not like God is just having a party for no reason and he wants people to come so it doesn't feel dead. It's that he's having a party because it's a wedding. And the wedding has a groom. And the groom is Christ. And there is a bride a bride who is fit for him, for the Son of God, who is adorned in glory, who has been prepared by Christ to be there. That's the celebration. And the church is the bride. What's so powerful about this banquet image is the servant is going to the bride and saying, Will you come to your wedding? So many will say, I'm busy. What is the master angry about? What he's angry about connects to what the party's about. His angry, his angry response is to those who say, you're taking, you've been taking my name in vain. You've been taking my name, you claim to be my people, but you do not want to celebrate with my joy. They're unmoved by it. And it's because they didn't understand that the party was for them. Do we understand what God's great banquet is about? It's a celebration like nothing this world will have ever seen and has ever seen before. It's focused on God, how God is restoring a rebellious people to himself through the sacrifice of his son. That's what this party is about. It's the establishment of God's eternal kingdom, which will be marked by perfect peace and provision for all, and it will be marked by the end of every sad thing. Think of it. Every sorrow that you carry right now will be resolved. And it will end. Who will come to that feast? Those who want to celebrate that work of God. Who, well, who are they? Who would want to celebrate that work of God? Those who know that they need it. Those who know that they need what only he can give. Who are they? The weak, the wounded, the sick, the sore, the poor, the marginalized. People who never imagined that God would show such kindness. People who feared that their lives would be defined by the misery of their past. People who have had to have their self-righteousness pried out of their hands by the truth of the gospel. People like you, people like me. 
And as we see in this parable, it's another warning, another caution, but also another cause for joy. His banquet does not wait on us. God doesn't wait to celebrate until we're ready. His banquet is not only, his banquet is not set by our willingness to go. It will carry on as planned and it will be completely full. There will not be an empty seat and it will be awesome and it will be a cause for joy. What do we bring to a party like that? Ourselves and nothing else. We bring ourselves and nothing else because the good news is that's all God wants you to bring. It's you. Why? Because you're the reason that the party's happening. All God wants from you is you. That's why he's throwing the party in the first place. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you that in the pages of scripture, when we see the the actual ministry of Jesus, we do not find um, someone who is tame. We do not find somebody who is squishy in what he believes, but we find the second person of the Godhead in strength and power and conviction and righteousness calling us out of treating you as a transactional partner, or even worse, a transactional servant for our lives, but who calls us to to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Father, thank you for the parable of the great banquet and the reminder that you are a God who celebrates beauty. You celebrate beautiful things. Thank you that you have called us to yourself, that you have called the church your bride, that you're preparing us even now for that day when we will be with you in glory forever and every sad thing will be untrue and we will see with clear eyes and all of our wounds and our, and our hurts will be healed. Lord, cause us then in the meantime, even now, to cast ourselves upon you and to trust you, to trust you to heal us where we're hurting and broken, to show us yourself, to show us the beauty of your love for us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.